first song this morning will be 366. There is a place of quiet rest. 366. Sing all three verses. <clears throat> there is a place of quiet rest near to the heart of God. A place where sin cannot molest near to the heart of God. Oh, Jesus, blessed Redeemer, sent from the heart of God. Hold us who wait before Thee, near to the heart of God. There is a place of comfort sweet near to the heart of God. A place where we are Savior meet near to the heart of God. Oh, Jesus, blessed Redeemer, sent from the heart of God. Hold us who wait before Thee, near to the heart of God. There is a place of full release near to the heart of God, a place where all is joy and peace near to the heart of God. Oh, Jesus, blessed Redeemer, sent from the heart of God. Hold us who wait before Thee, near to the heart of God. Good morning. I had to smile on I watched out there as I walked up here, and you said, oh, please tell me he's not singing. Uh, let's start out by welcoming all our, our guests this morning. If you're, uh, if you're looking for a church home, uh, I think you found it because you're welcome here. We're all brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, and when the uh, collection plate comes around, uh, if you'd like to fill out one of these cards, maybe blue, maybe tan, I guess, but if you fill out one of these cards, drop it uh, in the plate or just uh, uh, hand it to somebody in the foyer afterwards, we'd uh, like to get to know you. I, I promise we're not going to come knocking on your door and all, but uh, we would like to know who, who's here and uh, when you were here. Uh, if you're passing through uh, on your way back, feel free to stop in and, and join us again. I do have a few uh, notes to read this morning. Um, first, uh, Joyce McWilliams, she's uh, homesick this morning. Evidently, she spent an hour in the ER yesterday and uh, just couldn't wait any, any longer, so, and she had to go home, so let's keep her in our prayers. Um, please put my brother Larry Knox on the prayer list. He'll be having a second open-heart surgery on January 2nd. This comes from Vicki Folks. I have a card here. <clears throat> we want to thank our Northside family 
For all the many texts, cards sent, phone calls following Ruth's surgery, <clears throat> a special thank you to those families who provided food, a goodie basket, uh, and those who provided transportation to doctor's appointments. We so appreciate our family at Northside, Love in Christ, Jim and Ruth Busby. I have another note here from that Mac asked me to read. <clears throat> Joretta Rose requests your prayers. She has been in constant and severe pain for the past three days with neck spasms. Went to ER at UAMS Saturday morning at 1 a.m. She has swelling of muscles in her neck causing pressure on nerves. She received six injections of lidocaine <clears throat> at triggered points uh, that didn't help uh, to ease the pain. An hour later, she was given Valium, which resulted in no relief. 45 minutes later, she was given fentanyl with still no relief. <clears throat> at about 10.30, they gave her a pain pill and discharged her while she was still in pain. Any movement of her head causes severe pain. Please pray that the swelling subsided and relieves the pain. <clears throat> I've had those neck pains, obviously not as bad as she, but uh, we know what she's going through. <clears throat> and I do have, uh, this was handed to me. It's, uh, it looks like a door key from a, a Hilton. Um, if you, uh, if you lost this, um, I'll have it, uh, and uh, then we'll just, I guess we'll put it out there in the foyer afterwards, and, and you can pick it up. Are there any other, uh, does anybody have any other announcements, or requests, updates on anybody? Okay. Before we continue our service, let's go to the Father in prayer. <clears throat> Father, we have so many things to be thankful for. We know first and foremost, Father, we are grateful for your son you sent here to, to teach us, then to willingly go to the cross and suffer the cruelty there and bleed and die that we may have eternal life and eternal hope. Father, we're also grateful for the opportunity to be here and to worship you and praise you, to learn of you, to strengthen ourselves as Christians that we can go out into our communities and our homes and be disciples of your love and your word. Father, we have a list of people that we've read this morning. We have others in our, our bulletin who for several different reasons need our prayers and your comfort. Father, we pray that you will reach out to them, that you will touch them, you will heal them, you will comfort them. And, Father, we know ultimately that your will will be done. Father, we pray that as we go through the rest of this service, you help us to open our hearts and minds to all that is said and all that is there for us to absorb and to take in to strengthen ourselves. And, Father, we thank you for the, the guests we have this morning. And, Father, we do pray if they're looking for a a permanent house of worship that uh, they will come back and, and that we can make them feel at home so that they too can know the love and joy that we do. Father, we pray you continue to watch over us, guide us all and protect us and forgive us of our sins. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Next song this morning, uh, number 29, beautiful. Number 29. <clears throat> beautiful robes of white, beautiful land of light, beautiful home so bright, where there shall come no night. Beautiful crown of wear, shining and bright o'er there, yonder in mansions fair, gather us there. Beautiful robes, beautiful. 
beautiful land, beautiful home, beautiful van, beautiful crown shining so fair, beautiful mansions bright gather us there, beautiful thought to me. Forever be thine in eternity when from this world we're free, free from its toil and care, heavenly joy to share. Let me cross over there. This is my prayer, beautiful robes, beautiful. Beautiful home, beautiful van, beautiful crown shining so fair, beautiful mansion bright gather us there, beautiful things on high over in yonder sky. Thus I shall leave this shore, counting my treasures o'er, where we shall never die. Carry me by and by, never to sorrow more. Heavenly store, beautiful robes, beautiful so fair, beautiful mansions bright, gather us there. Number 488, Standing on the Promises, 488, and if you'd like to, we'll go ahead and stand for this song, then remain standing for our prayer after. 488, Standing on the Promises. Standing on the promises of Christ my King, through eternal ages let his praises ring. Glory in the highest I will shout and sing, standing on the promises of God. Standing, standing, standing on the promises of God my Savior, standing, standing, I'm standing on the promises of God, standing on the promises I cannot fall, when the howling storms of doubt and fear assail. By the living word of God I shall prevail, standing on the promises of God, standing, standing, standing on the promises of God, my Savior, standing, standing. I'm standing on the promises of God, standing on the promises I cannot fall, listening every moment to the Spirit's call, resting in my Savior as my all in all, standing on the promises of God, Standing, standing, standing on the promises of God, my Savior. Standing, standing, I'm 
standing on the promises of God. While Matthew makes his way up here, we'll sing number 26 as an invitation song this morning. Bow with me, please. Dear Father in heaven, Lord God, we thank you for each day that you give us to live here on this earth that you've created for us and see all the beautiful things that you've given us to enjoy. Father, we ask that when we fall and we fall short of your glory that you will please forgive us of our sins and please pick us up and put us back on your path, Lord. We ask that you be with us this morning as we listen to your word and ask it. We ask that you please help us to really, really take it into our heart and our soul that we can use it in our lives, not just here, but but also away, like at our jobs and such. We ask that you please continue to watch over us, Lord, as you always have, and we thank you for your son, Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Okay. Romans 1 16. 16, for I am not ashamed of. Gospel of Christ of it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes of the Jew first and also for the courage. Amen. It's good to see you guys this morning and good to hear scripture read like that. Um, David's done a great job for us doing that. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in 1 Kings chapter 8. I want to invite you there with me. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, there might be one in front of you. You can use your phone by all means, so long as it's in church mode, right? And we got quite a few visitors here with us this morning, and it's good to see you all. We got one in, the, in here that's a preacher that's not preaching. And so I think I know whose card for the hotel that is. I'm not sure. <laughs> no, he's got his, so it's not his. <laughs> but Travis Sweet's preacher over in Post, Texas, which is where I disappear sometimes too in the summer for a summer series or something. And so it's good to see him here with his family visiting. First Kings chapter 8. We've been reading through the Bible in a year. And this comes out of our reading from this past Wednesday and Thursday a section on where we see the Temple of Solomon finally being established. It's not the Temple of Solomon, really. It's God's temple, but it's the one that, that Solomon built, the one that, that God commissioned him to build instead of David. And there's a lot of great and grand things that are taking place. Of course, we've got to ask the question, why are we even looking at this? Well, because it's part of our history. Not just, you know, the Jews' history, but this is our history, the, the people of God, our history. And Jesus refers back to the temple many times because the temple and the sacrifices, everything was done pointing to Jesus, foreshadowing Jesus. And Jesus ultimately fulfilled all these things that are taking place. While we got out of Egypt and were wandering through the wilderness, the temple we had was a mobile temple called the Tabernacle. It was made out of cloth and different woods, and God actually empowered the craftsmen to build it a certain way. And it was meant to be able to break down and get moving as we got through the wilderness, as we went into the promised land and conquered. Now here we are with the first established temple. And boy, is it grand in appearance. It is gold and bronze and cedar and all these other things that Solomon wanted it to be also a bit more just to give more glory to God. 
all of this, though, the grand and, and the gold, ultimately really doesn't matter the appearance of it, though. What matters is God being there. But yes, we look at this because it all talks about foreshadowing Jesus in some way. He refers back to the temple several times. You may know that the only way to get into the temple where all the worship is done, where all the sacrifices are, there is one gate. There is one direction to go to where God is. One way. And Jesus says in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And inside the temple, I'm not going to tell you everything that's in there. We don't have enough time for that. But there's these, these candles that the light of the candles represents God's presence among his people, which makes sense because in John chapter 8, verse 12, there's this light festival that's taking place, thinking about the presence of God, and they're looking at these giant pillars of fire as well to where, that signify God's presence. And Jesus is looking at these with the Jews, and he says, I am the light of the world. I am the presence of God in the world. He takes what they know, and he's showing it them This was all pointing to me. This was all getting you ready for me to come. It didn't matter about how grand these things were. It didn't matter if it was gold or if it was wood or stone. But what mattered was it was the way God ordained it. And it was what God wanted to show us and to teach us about the Messiah that is coming. And so we look at a section of scripture like this to better understand in the long term our Savior. I want to know Jesus. I want to understand the significance of all that he said and all that he did, right? And I I think you would agree with me in that. Paul said in Philippians chapter 3, verse 10 and 11, he's talking about how he wants to know him so badly, saying that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, that I may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means necessary, I may attain the resurrection of the dead. You see how bad Paul wants to know Jesus, not just know about him. We don't come here to just know about Jesus, to just fill our head with headspace knowledge. But it starts there, yes, but we got to feed both the mind and the heart to intimately know him. I see how badly Paul says he wants to know Jesus And I see how badly I ought to want to know him too. And so we've got to feed both. And here in 1 Kings 8, it's a grand event. It's opening day. And of course, Solomon does things in a grand way, but it's lacking two things. Everything is there, all the gold, all the things to worship, all the candles and the bread inside. It's all there, but it lacks the ark and it lacks God's presence both of which are about to happen. He says down there in chapter 8, verse 4, begin with me there. Now, there's there's 66 verses in this chapter, and uh, you're welcome. We're not going to go through every single one of them. But verse 4, he says, They brought up the ark of the Lord and the tent of meeting, that's the tabernacle, and the holy vessels that were in the tent. The priests and the Levites brought them up. And King Solomon and all the congregation of Israel who had assembled before him were with him before the ark, sacrificing so many sheep and oxen that they could not be counted or numbered. That's pretty awesome to think about. There's now, we went from a small altar to a huge altar, but we still can't even fit all the sacrifices on it. And we're sacrificing all of these just because we can. You know, this is a specific type of offering. Of course, there's always specific types. But this is what is known as a peace offering. And specifically under the peace offering, there is a category for free will offerings, meaning I'm going to offer this just because I can, just because I want to. Isn't that a good thought? I'm going to give this to God because I can. I'm going to give him more because I want to. You see how this kind of maybe foreshadows the life of a Christian, how you and I ought to be seeking to give God more. And this whole peace offering, it's celebrating Good relationship with God. That's what's at its core. And in it, they take the fat of the animal and they uh, put it on the altar to be burnt. But then the rest of the animal is taken and eaten by those that are there, by those that are offering it and those that are around because it's a banquet. Peace has a huge significance, does it not? It's the peace that you and I have 
as we sit down with God, we are in good relationship with God. And the idea with these offerings is God is the host. This is his house. And he invites us into a relationship with him. Can we not hear the invitation of Jesus? It talks about seeking him and how he invites us into that covenant relationship with him as well because he's the one that extends the peace. He's the one that gives the offering. He is the host and he invites us into that with him and with God. They're offering what they're offering, this uncountable amount of offerings just because they wanted to do more. And it's what's called a sweet aroma to God. In Romans chapter 12, verse 1, I'm sure you've heard it before. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God. This is your spiritual worship. My body, my life is supposed to be worshipped to God, not just on Sunday mornings, Wednesday nights, and that kind of thing, but I'm supposed to be glorifying to God, this pleasing aroma to God, giving God every aspect more and more and more of me and my daily activities because I can, because I'm in a good relationship with God, because He saved me, because He is the host. It should drive me to want to give more of myself to Him. To God, though my life and that worship may seem simple and unnecessary to the world. To God, it's grand and pleasing to Him. When I'm looking and reading in this section the grandness of the temple, I start to think, what really is grand? What really is great in the sight of God? That's what we're after, right? Not, not what's great to me. Not what I want to do because I think it's pretty grand and awesome. But what is it to God that's pleasing and is great to Him? That is what we should be off uh, after. But not so that we can be great and grand and awesome in and of our own selves, but to make God the focus of that. That's what Solomon is actually doing here. That's what Israel's doing here. They're doing good at this point. Look over in verse 10. When the priest came out of the holy place, that's inside the temple, a cloud filled the house of the Lord. So the priest could not stand to minister because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. They couldn't keep doing their priestly duties because the glory of God that's there was too great. You know, opening day, I call it opening day of the temple, and opening day of the tabernacle, it was a very similar instance where the glory of God came down and shone and showed His presence in that way to everyone that was around. Because in both instances, it's where God's people are and it's where God's will is being done. And so God's presence, when we talk about it, we don't always feel God's presence, right? We hear a lot of people talk about it, but really it's not a, a calculable thing. And so God's presence, though, we should be mindful and recognize that where his people are, where his will is being done, that's where he is. Of course, he's active in all the world completely. But I can't do anything either, by the way, that compares to how wonderful God is and the great things that God can do. That's why they couldn't stand to minister. They paled in comparison. Do we not realize, though, as Christians, think back to Acts chapter 2, verse 38. I am turning to Ephesians 1.13, if you want to look there with me. But in Acts 2.38, when Peter says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, and you will receive the forgiveness of sins and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. You will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, is what Peter says. What's the purpose of me having the gift of of the Spirit. Well, He dwells within me. He lives within me. In Ephesians 1.13, He tells us in more detail, In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him. When did I believe in Him? Not when I said, you know, I, I believe that Jesus is real. I believe Jesus is the Son of God. No, it goes beyond that. Faith and belief being the same thing manifests itself in action. What was the point of belief? Peter said, when I was baptized. And at that point when I became saved. And at that point when, he says, believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Why does the Spirit live in me? One, to grow me into his likeness. But two, what he says here, 
is he seals me. He is my guarantee. He is the deposit of the inheritance that awaits me in eternity. He's the proof that God gives me that I'm saved and that I will be in eternity with him. That's pretty good proof. Pretty good guarantee that God gives us himself to live within me. Do I not realize that it is God who lives in me if I'm a Christian? We fail to grasp the gravity of that, don't we? I mean, on a daily basis, I should be thinking about that and praising God for that. And boy, how different my life would be. How much change would happen if I remembered every hour God is here. Not far off or far away in the clouds or something like that. But He is in me if I am His. I'm back over in 1 Kings 8. He goes on to start blessing Israel, praying over Israel, Solomon does, and praying to God. He says in verse 15, He said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who with His hand has fulfilled what He promised. Every time that He says this, by the way, because we'll come to it close to the end, fulfilled His promises, or that He has fulfilled it or confirmed You might circle it or underline it or make a note out to the side because he mentions it quite a bit. But he says, He has fulfilled what he has promised with his mouth to David my father, saying, Since the day I brought up my people Israel out of Egypt, I chose no city out of all the tribes of Israel in which to build a house that my name might be there. But I chose David to be over my people Israel. Verse 19 talking about the conversation when God was talking to David, saying, Nevertheless, you shall not build the house, but your son, Solomon, who shall be born to you, shall build the house for my name. Now the Lord has fulfilled his promise that he has made. For I have risen in the place of David my father and sit on the throne of Israel as the Lord promised, and I have built the house for the name of the Lord, the God of Israel." The name of the Lord, the God of Israel, he is a God who keeps and fulfills his word. He is a keeper of the promises that he makes. Hold your place here. Look over one book behind us in 2 Samuel 7 and look at this promise. Here it is. 2 Samuel verse 12 through 13. And this is a dual prophecy, a dual promise, by the way, not just about the temple. He says, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. So there's part of the promise that we see Solomon is is praying about and talking about has been fulfilled. And it has been. But it's not just about Solomon. Why? Well, pay attention to that last part, verse 13. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. What's the word? Forever? Is Solomon's kingdom still here? Is the temple of Solomon still here? No, it's been destroyed. And that kingdom is no longer here, except maybe we're not talking about that then. Maybe we're talking about the seed promise. There's no maybe about it. In Genesis 3.15, the very first prophecy of Jesus, when God is talking to the serpent after they had eaten the apple and he tricked them into it, He tells the serpent that the offspring of the woman, you will bruise his heel, but he will crush your head. That's the first prophecy of Jesus. And it starts this seed promise that goes on then. We see later with Abraham in chapter uh, 18 and chapter 22, verse 18, how all the nations of the earth will be blessed through his offspring. And through Abraham, we can track it all the way down to David, then to Solomon. We can continue to see it all the way through the Old Testament to where Jesus comes from the same family, from the same house. He was the promise that was to come. And his kingdom is established forever, is it not? He's already established it. He already came, lived, died, buried, was resurrected, and so his authority has been established. He was the one that was promised. At this point, as we're reading in 1 Kings 8, that part has not been fully uh, fulfilled, but it's on its way to being fulfilled. Now when we look back on this side of the cross, we see God kept both promises. God fulfilled both prophecy, the temple being built and the spiritual temple, the church that Jesus set up with his death, burial and resurrection was done. His kingdom established forever. God 
who keeps his word, God who keeps his promises. It's not just in the fact that God makes promises. It's in the fact that God has the power and the desire to keep those, to keep his word. That should give me, as a follower of his, some great sense of blessings, a great sense of ownership of my God who is so great, really an idea of peace. Because if God has kept all these promises in the past, I know He's going to keep the same promises that are awaiting me in the future. When He has told me, I have given you my spirit, as we read, as an inheritance, I know that that is going to be kept. I know where I'm going to end up as a Christian. I don't have to guess. I don't have to wonder if I'm going to make it one day. In fact, as a Christian, there is no place for that kind of language of, I hope I get there, maybe I'll get there. If you're a Christian, it's done. If you stay a Christian, it's done. Jesus keeps you, the Spirit keeps you, and we get to be with God for eternity. And there is no God like Him. That's what He says in verse 23. He says, O Lord God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven or above, above or on earth beneath, keeping covenant, showing steadfast love to your servants who walk with you with all their heart. There are no others. Even if there were any other, quote, gods out there that might be real, there's not. But none of them and no person on earth is like God who is steadfast in his love and who keeps covenant. He goes on, look in verse 27. Verse 27, he says, But will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you. How much less this house that I have built. See, Solomon even knows that this isn't a place that confines God. Verse 28, Yet have regard to the prayer of your servant and to his plea, O Lord my God, listening to the cry and to the day toward this house. To the place which you have said, my name shall be there, that you may listen to the prayer of your servant offers towards this place and listen to the plea of your servant and to your people Israel when they play towards, pray towards this place and listen in heaven, your dwelling place, and when you hear, forgive. Solomon tells us through this prayer, we already know, by the way, Solomon's pretty good at praying because a couple chapters ago he prayed for what? Wisdom. And God got, uh, get, granted it to him. He's good at praying. And he's showing us here that through his prayer that, yeah, God hears every one of our prayers. And he wants to give us that forgiveness as well. But, but we ask the question here, whose benefit is this temple for really? Is it really for God's benefit? Because he says, you, you don't really dwell here in this. It's not really going to confine you. So it's not God that's benefiting here, but it's his people that have this reminder and his people that are looking at this and looking towards the future. If we remember, we benefit. If we remember what the purpose actually is of the temple as opposed to something else. Later they forgot. Later, they filled the temple with other idols and other things of the nations around. They dismissed God, and they became foolish thinking that God was confined to that building for some reason. And I guess it'd be easy to think that. Maybe sometimes we think that God's confined here, but He's not. He's not confined to a building of any type. And in Ezekiel chapter 1, crazy chapter, where we see a picture, very much like Revelation, a picture of God on this mobile chariot that has eyes all over and moves everywhere. His people are in captivity after they had done wrong. They're away from the temple. They're away from God where they think that God can only be worshipped at Jerusalem there. But the picture there in Ezekiel 1 is to show He's not confined to the temple. You can still reach out towards Him in faithfulness. You can still reach out towards Him in prayer. And they do, and many become faithful when they should have been already, but they become faithful. And I start to think, is it really for Christ's benefit that He came down in the form of a human? Was it really for His benefit that He went through that? Is it really for the Spirit's benefit to dwell in me? I'd be foolish to think that that was the case. But no. Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 says this, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind 
among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Think and view this way. Act in this humble way because that mindset is the mindset of me, God, he says, of Jesus that uh, Paul is actually telling us. It is the mindset of Jesus that he has. Humble and selfless, doing this for others' benefit. No, it's not for my, or it's not for his own benefit that he did these things. He doesn't need me to glorify him. He doesn't need me to worship him. But all of this is actually for my own benefit. And a mark of maturity, by the way, is selflessness. When I can learn to be selfless and giving of my things if I need to, but also mainly giving of myself as he does, not just did, but does, then I start to grow in maturity in him when the Spirit is growing me in that way. Back over in 1 Kings, look in verse 56. 56, everything in between there and 56 is his prayer. He's praying for the mercy of God. He's praying for God to bring justice on the enemies. He's praying that God keep the saved saved, keep your people pure, and save those that are wandering and sojourning, and grant us success. Pretty good prayer, right? But I know we read this last week. But down in verse 56, he says, Blessed be the Lord who has given rest to his people Israel according to all that he promised. Not one word has failed of all his good promise, which he spoke by Moses, his servant. We, we can go all the way back to Moses. And before that, he says, God fulfills. The Lord our God be with us as he was with our fathers. May he not leave us or forsake us that he may incline our hearts to him to walk in his ways and to keep his commandments and his statutes and his rules which he commanded our fathers. Here though in verse 56, from my counting, you might get one or two more, I'm not sure, depending on the version, but I counted six times that Solomon says God has fulfilled. God has made good on his promises. 15, 20, 23, 24, 26, and now 56. What do you think that the focus of the chapter is? It's opening day of the temple. Is it not the focus being on the temple? No. Is it, is it the uncountable amount of sacrifices that are there being done in grand style? No. Is it Solomon and his wise words? No. It's God who's behind all that. He is the focus here. He is the one being praised. God makes the temple grand. The temple was just nothing. doesn't matter how good it looks. But the fact that it's God's will and God was there, that's what is grand, is God. And in the same way, I start to think about with the church, and I start to think about heaven when we get there. You know, the place, I don't even care. The goal is not to get to heaven. The goal is to be with God. That place will be great. That place will be grand. But I'm selling myself short if my goal is heaven. My goal is to be with God for eternity. And wherever that is, yeah, we could say that's heaven, right? When I start to take an honest examination of my words and my deeds and my thoughts and my routines, I see and I learn what the focus of my life actually is. My single focus of life should not be my job, should not be my desires. It should not even be my kids and my spouse. Now, we wrestle with that, but look with me in Luke chapter 13 just briefly. And we'll be back for one more verse. But in Luke chapter 13, 14, excuse me, verse 26 and 27, he says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Jesus is telling us to hate? No, he's not telling us to actually hate. This is hyperbole. It's exaggerated speech to make a point. What is the focus of my life? God does not want to just be first in your life. God wants to be your whole life. Then everything else, spouse, kids, job, everything else in life will find its rightful place. And you will have better and more to give to all those areas if 
God is your focus, if God is your life, if he is in the rightful spot so that I can view all these things the right way and live the right way that he calls me to live. And we wrestle with that. Out of our selfishness, we put ourselves first. Out of our own selfishness, we also put each other first instead of God being first and foremost. But God has got to be my focus. I'm not ignoring the responsibilities. I'm not dismissing the people in my life at all. But God is saying, if you want to do these things in the right way, you need me as your core. You need me as the reason that you draw breath, the reason and the meaning behind your thoughts and all your daily routines. That is how you be my disciple. When he says to take, that's how you carry your cross. Wholehearted obedience, wholehearted dedication. That's what it means to take up the cross and follow him. Last verse in 1 Kings chapter 8, the very last verse, verse 66. He says, on the eighth day, and this is after even more sacrifices are done, 22,000 oxen, verse 62, 120,000 sheep, and all the different sacrifices, not just the peace offerings, but the burnt offerings and the grain offerings and everything else. On the eighth day, he sent the people away, and he blessed, and they blessed the king and went to their homes joyful and glad of heart for all the goodness that the Lord had shown to David his servant, and to Israel, his people. All of this worship, all of the temple, all the things that are taking place in this chapter should remind me also what is the purpose of worship. And as we read here, few of the purposes of worship, for there are many, but one and two, to inspire joy and to inspire glad hearts of God's goodness because of God's goodness. What's the goodness of God? It's that which characterizes God's actions and God's desires to plan the plan to save man before time even began. Before he spoke in Genesis, let there be light. The plan was there. And then in Genesis 3.15, soon as we needed a Savior... He was on the scene with the plan, started working the plan to get you and I saved. I know I said one more verse, but let me give you just one more verse. That's typical Paul fashion. He'll end his letters about four times saying, and finally, and finally. But really, this is the last one, maybe. Second Peter chapter 2, chapter 3, verse 9. He says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promises, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you. Yeah, that's me. It's every one of us here. Patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. I don't, I don't see Jesus coming back right now. I don't see eternity right now. But that doesn't mean that God's not going to fulfill His promise, does it? I don't got to see what awaits in the future to know what's going to happen because I've already seen how faithful God is. And that should make me want to give more of myself a free will offering to him more and more daily as I live. I hope that's you too. And if you're not a Christian, boy, we desperately want you to be one, to have that peace with God. But if you have a need to respond in any way this morning, let us know as we stand together and sing. Can I doubt his tender mercy who through life has been my guide? Heavenly peace, divinest comfort, here by faith in him to dwell. For I know whatever befall me, Jesus doeth all things well. For I know whatever befall me, Jesus doeth all things well. All the way my Savior leads me, cheers each one.
lips may falter, and my soul a thirst may be, gushing from the rock before me, blow a spring of joy I see, gushing from the rock before me, blow a spring of joy I see. All the way my Savior leads me, oh, the fullness of his love, perfect rest to me is promised in my Father's house above. When my spirit clothed immortal wings its flight to realms of day, this my song in endless ages, Jesus led me all the way. This my song in endless ages, Jesus led me all the way. You may be seated. Before the Lord's Supper this morning, we'll sing number 449. Hallelujah, what a Savior. 449. <clears throat> Man of sorrows, what a name for the Son of God who came. Ruined sinners to reclaim. Hallelujah, what a Savior, bearing shame and scoffing rude, in my place condemned he stood, seal my pardon with his blood, Hallelujah, what a Savior, guilty, vile, and helpless we, spotless Lamb of God was He, form of atonement can it be, Hallelujah, what a Savior. Lifted up was he to die. It is finished was his cry. Now in heaven exalted high. our glorious King, all his ransomed home to bring. Then anew this song will sing, hallelujah, what a Let's bow. Father, we thank you so very much for this day and for this time you give us to come here. We thank you so very much for your mercy and for your love and for your patience, for your wondrous plan of salvation that brought your son to earth to live a perfect life, to set a perfect example, only to be despised and afflicted and 
ultimately his mangled body hung upon a cross in our stead. We pray that you help us to have the thoughts of the world cleared from our minds, to wander back to that cross, to see the great love, the great pain and suffering that Christ went through for us, the great love you have for us. Pray that you help us to do this in a way and manner that is pleasing your sight. In Jesus' name, amen. Father, as we come to take this fruit of the vine that represents that precious blood that Christ shed upon the cross for us, help us to always remember that he shed it without sin and get, shed it for our gift of salvation. Help us to partake of it with love and feeling in our heart and remember that great sacrifice that he made for us. In Christ's name we pray, amen.
Let us pray. Lord, bless us as we give back to the others as if, as you have given to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Before Eric does our closing prayer, if you would turn to number 500 or sing number 500, take the name of Jesus with you. Hopefully that's something we'll all do as we leave this morning, evening, morning. I get the time of day confused. <laughs> take the name of Jesus with you. Take the name of Jesus with you, child of sorrow and of woe. It will joy and comfort give you. Take it then where you go. Precious name, oh how sweet. Hope of earth and joy of heaven. Precious name, oh how sweet. Hope of earth and joy of heaven. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you for the day. Thank you for the health that you've given us to, to allow us to be here to worship you. And we pray that our worship has been pleasing in your sight, Father. Thank you for your long-suffering, your steadfastness your faith, your goodness. Thank you for your love, Father. Thank you for loving us so much that you gave us your son. Help us to emulate his life. Help us to be more like him and continue growing the grace and knowledge of your son. Give us the courage to identify sin in our life, Father, and to remove it and cast it away. And give us the courage to verbally proclaim your son and his gospel to others that we come across. Help us to be more like your son in every day. We give you thanks and ask these many things in your son's name. Amen.